Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So I'll explain really quick what's going on as we get moving this morning. This is, in fact, family service and potluck, okay? So what you're a part of right now, if you're not used to this church or you're not familiar with being here, is kind of a one-off. Every now and then, we stop what we're doing uh, just to celebrate, to feast together. And so if you were in your head going, um, I thought they got rid of potlucks back in the 70s. What are we doing here? How's this work? Well, here's the answer. As a momentum, by God's grace, one of his special blessings on this place is the fact that we are a multi-ethnic, multinational, multiracial, and multi-generational church. And so, yeah, okay, there we go. And so every now and then, we just stop what we're doing and try and find ways to celebrate that and tell God thank you for that special gift that he's put on this place. And so uh, we said, what brings people put together better than food? And the answer is nothing. And so what we do is we stop every now and then. We do family service because uh, we need room in there to set up for all the potluck happenings. And so normal stuff, normal message coming at you here in just a second. Uh, but then after this, we just roll straight over there into the other room where we have more fried chicken than you know what to do with. Now, if you're like, oh, that's cool. I wasn't planning this. Um, I want to just tell you, you are now formally invited to lunch with us, okay? So there's tons. We could use some help. I don't want to have to take this all home. I'm still dealing with my uh, winter weight that I'm trying to shed, and so I don't need extra fried chicken. I need you to head over there with us and enjoy and feast and have fun together, okay? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into this, uh, into God's Word. So let's pray together. God and Father, uh, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the way that you have called this group of people to Together for this season of our lives, man. I pray that as I speak, Lord, it's not just a, a good sermon happening. It's not just some clever stories and words, but God, it's that you bring your spirit here to this place to fill our hearts, fill our souls, and to make your word come alive. And so we know if anything meaningful is going to happen today, anything remarkable or special, it is going to be by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we invite that in this place, in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I brought this with me today. If you can't see it from where you're sitting, it's a Swiss Army knife. And for as long as I can remember, my dad has always carried with him a Swiss Army knife. I bet, I was thinking about it, I bet you I could call him right now and say, hey dad, what's in your front right pocket? I'm with a group of people, this isn't planned, this isn't staged, just tell us what's in your front right pocket. And be like, well, some cigarettes and a pocket, no, I'm just kidding, he doesn't know. But, but I guarantee you, right here now, I, it'd be the safest bet that he has a knife like this in his pocket. And for me as a kid, you can only imagine, you're a kid, and uh, I grew up working with my dad. We sanded and refinished hardwood floors. I started working with him when I was about 12 years old. And I remember him just always pulling out the pocket knife at just the right time. Like, we'd have to open a can of soup in the van for lunch, and he'd just right around the edge with the can opener and the knife, or he would use it to screw something in with the screwdriver or the knife blade itself. And so I just grew up thinking, this is the pinnacle of manliness and cool. And so... Uh, one time, uh, I wanted a knife really bad, but my parents wouldn't get me one. And one time, I was about seven or eight years old, and my mother took us to this place called Backcountry. And in my hometown, Backcountry is this outfitter, kind of outdoorsy store, like, it, not like, uh, like a little more advanced in REI, like ski poles and really warm jackets and stuff you'd need to go up Mount Everest for some reason. And so uh, I'm at Backcountry, and my mom wanders off because she needs something. And about eight years old, I see this glass case filled with Swiss Army knives. 
I mean, I, I have my face on the glass, my mouth is wide open, and I'm just taking in, they're just beautiful, these bright red shells and these knives, and I just thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. And then I'm sitting there in front of a case full of knives, and to my shock and awe, the college kid behind the glass case goes, hey, would you like to see any of these? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, I like just act mature, okay? Like, I was like, oh yeah, I could probably use the knife. Uh, how about that one? And so to my shock and awe, the college kid behind the glass case full of knives reaches, he slides a little thing back, reaches his hand in there, grabs a Swiss Army knife and hands it to me. And this is the first time in my life I was able to tinker with a Swiss Army knife without any parental supervision whatsoever. It took me 30 seconds to snap the blade shut on my finger. I don't know what to do. I panic, so I zing it out from underneath the blade. Blood goes flying all over the glass case. My mom hears me scream. She comes over, go to the bathroom, cleans up the blood. Suffice it to say, they never bought me a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> and here's the coolest part. Uh, so we, we do set up teardown. I mean, all this stuff gets set up every morning. And I've been doing this for almost 10 years now, like for 10 years, the stage and opening things. And we just got new. This one's new. Right? So we had to unpackage it. And so, so I, 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 we're always opening things, loosening things, tightening things, fixing things. I was like, darn it. I'm a grown man. I am buying myself a Swiss Army knife. And so here we are today, like they, they make all kinds of different ones. I wish they had one called the pastor, but like they have knives for everything. Like they got one, if you're into hunting, there's a knife and it has all the special tools for hunting. If you're into sewing, they have one for sewing and it has all kinds of special tools for sewing. If you're into whatever it may be, they make a Swiss army knife for you. Why are we talking about this at church right before a potluck? I'm here to tell you no matter how old you are today, no matter how you got here today, no matter if you've been around church your entire life and you relate to the old church basement song personally, or if you're new to this whole God stuff and you're like, I'm not really sure, he might be up there, I just have this hunger in my soul, no matter who you are, where you are, how you got here today, I'm here to tell you that you are God's Swiss Army Knife. The crazy thing about the Swiss Army Knife brand and company is they craft all kinds of different knives made to fulfill specific purposes. The one simple message we're sitting down on today is God has done the same thing in your life, whether you realize it or not. He has shaped every last detail of you for a purpose. I'm going to give you five of them today. That's the message. Hey, I've got good news for you. You get to draw in church today too, okay? So here we got these papers and you should have something like this and it's kind of numbered one, two, three, four, five. You need this in your hand. You need that pen in your hand. If you didn't get one of these or you didn't find one on your seat, you could raise a hand and we can get one to you. But you need to know this. You're like, I am a grown man. Why are you making me do art, okay? The Lord is not grading you on your drawing today. Okay, so when we teach the middle school and high school students how to worship, we say, hey, bad singers unite. God doesn't need you to sing good, just sing loud. This is kind of like that. God doesn't need you to draw well. Just keep your pen moving. Have fun today. And we're going to get there together. Five purposes God has for your life. Number one is this. 
uh, God planned me for His pleasure. The first purpose of your life is knowing and loving God. So on the slide there, you could go to the one. Uh, there you go. Go to the next one for me, Nick. In your first little box up there where it says one, you can draw a Bible and a heart, okay? The Bible is about knowing God. How do we know God? We know Him through His Word. He's revealed His heart, His love, His nature. All kinds of things about God are revealed in His Word. And we are called, the first and foremost commandment in all of Scripture is to love Him. The first purpose of your life is knowing and loving God. And, and it all begins, and it all begins, look at me, don't miss this. It all begins with understanding first how much God loves knowing you. God takes great joy this morning in who you are. In Revelation 4.11, it says, God, you created everything and it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. It gets a little more personal in Psalm 149 verse 4. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. And I don't know if you came in here wearing that this morning. I don't know how your week was, what you experienced, how well you achieved or how well you added up to the expectations that you have for yourself. But purpose and understanding purpose begins by understanding the fact that God is madly in love with you. He has a plan for you and his deepest desire is to know you. Come on, parents, you guys get this, right? I mean, it's cool. It is cool to see your kid hit their first baseball or softball in a game. It is cool to see your kids score their first goal in a game. But come on, parents, don't you know this? Don't you know this intuitively? The, the thing that matters more than watching them score a goal or achieve some sort of achievement is what? Is knowing them. 18 years of a sports career is cool, but what matters way more to every single parent in here is the 18 years after that, knowing that kid, spending time with that kid, having a kid who actually wants to come back and be a part of your life when they don't have to be anymore because just knowing them matters. Penelope, uh, I learned something about her this week, and, and she, she is upset about the recess situation at Salt Creek Elementary School. And so, like any second grader would do, she started a petition to make recess longer. And we're like, what? And I thought she was joking. She goes, no, Dad, check this out. And she has how many, how, 25? She has 25 names. She's, she's an activist, okay? And she's, she's for the people. She's out there beating the streets to get more time added to recess. And as funny as that is, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something every parent gets? I just love knowing that about her. I just love knowing her on that level. I don't care. I don't care like how successful she becomes in this, that, or the other. What matters most is the relationship. And I want you to think of God for a second, a perfect heavenly father. How much more does relationship matter to him? One of my life verses is John 17, 3. Jesus is in that upper room the night before he's going to be executed on a cross and he's praying with and for his disciples. And there's this moment in the prayer and it's almost like his whole life and ministry had been leading up to this prayer. And in the prayer, it's like Jesus just spills the secret to life and purpose and meaning. And he says, now this is eternal life 
that they know you, the one true God and the Son whom you sent. This is eternal life. This is purpose. This is what you were created for. This is what you were made for. This is where you come alive. How do you come alive? How does it happen? When you know the one true God and the Son who He sent. What I love about the words is they remind us how relational God's purposes are in their nature. It reminds us that there's no greater thing in life and no greater point to this life than relationship with God and then as we'll see with others. I served at a church before here. I've been here for almost a decade. And before that, I was at another church for about eight years. And the way this church was that I served at, it was called Northside. And at Northside, there are a lot of people and uh, a lot of people who are older. And so there were, it was very, very common for our church to have 10 to 15 people in the hospital, maybe for some sickness or illness, but a lot of times people were in the hospital living out the last days of their life. And so we had this thing called uh, pastor on call and, uh, and pastor hospital visits. And so basically we took all the staff members and everybody would take a day going in visiting the hospitals. And so in that season of my life for those eight years, I spent so much time by the beds of people who are living their last days. And what was remarkable to me is in those last days and in those last moments, nobody cared about achievement. I never prayed with somebody, said amen, and they lean close and they say, hey, come here. Could you go bring my bowling trophies? They're at my house. I, wanna, I want them here. I never saw someone say, hey, uh, family, as you guys gather around, could you swing by the house? I want my degrees on the wall next to me as I breathe my last. No. There are only two things people desire and want in that situation. They want to be right with God, and they want to be close to their loved ones. Because relationship matters most. Your first and primary purpose in life is to know and love God. Number two, God formed me for his family. The second purpose of my life is to love others. If you go to the next one for me, keep going, Nick. Right there, you can draw a heart and you can draw your version of a crowd of people. Come on, bad, bad artists unite. Just keep the pen moving and have fun, all right? The second purpose of your life is loving others. We've talked about this story a lot before, but there was this time in Jesus' life when this guy came up to Jesus with a question and he said, Jesus, I want my life to be simple. I want the bottom line. Can you just tell me the most important commandment? And then Jesus said something that broke this man's brain. He said, I'm sorry, I can't tell you there's a most important commandment because there's not. There is a most important commandment. And the guy's like, that's not even proper English, Jesus. And Jesus is like, stick with me and you're going to understand. There aren't one, there is not one most important commandment. There are two most important commandments. The first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus, almost in the same breath, says, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we just simplify things and we say, love God, love people. Your first purpose is to know and love God. But with that, second purpose is to love people. And look at me really quick. I don't, I want to be specific here. It's not just love people generally. 
In the family of God, we are called specifically to love our church family well. You're not just called to walk out there with a big smile on your face and and pixie dust in your pocket and say, I love people. No, you are called to love your church family in tangible ways. In the book of Ephesians, we get this powerful language about the idea of a church family. Ephesians 1.5 says this, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, and that gave us great pleasure. Now, I want you to see something. When you are saved, you are saved into a family. God does not have orphans in his kingdom. Every single person who has given their life to Christ has been brought into a family. It's interesting because there are only two ways you can become a part of a family, right? There's only two ways. You can be born into that family or you could be adopted into that family. Isn't it interesting when you get into scriptures, the two main analogies Jesus uses for salvation is new birth and adoption. New birth, like when he's talking to Nicodemus that one night, and he says, you have to be born again to enter my kingdom. It's new birth. You're born into a family. Or like this Ephesians verse, God adopts us into this family. No matter how you want to go about it, when you are saved, you are saved into a family, and you are called to love that family for better or for worse. And trust me, is this a perfect church? No. Are there perfect people here? No. But guess what? There's always room for one more imperfect person in the family of God. And look around you. You are called by Jesus Christ to love the folks in here with you. And that matters. I don't want to be painfully specific here. Let me tell you how you do that. You do that by showing up for one another. In our time-crunched culture, the greatest expression of love we can offer is showing up for other people. You put love on display when you show up. I had this Bible question. I had wondered for, I've been, I've been doing this for a long time now, and it wasn't until about a year or two ago when I heard a really good sermon, I had my Bible question answered. My Bible question was like, why wasn't it like Adam, Eve, Jesus, right? Like, why wasn't it like, here's Adam and Eve, and then they fail, they eat the fruit, sin enters the world, and God's like, Jesus, end of story, life's good, everything's going to be okay. Like, why Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and Noah, and Arks, and Egypt, and, and God revealing himself, and then the law, and then Deborah, and Rahab, and David and kingdoms and then Jesus. Like, why did God do all of these other things before doing the thing? And I learned, here's why he did that. He wanted to put his love on display. He put his love on display by showing up in history over and over and over again. Do you know how you put your love on display for this church family? You show up. When you join a group and you're a part of a group and it's a busy week and you have two other evening commitments and everything in you doesn't want to go to that group, you show up because you know those other people are counting on you. 
when you're in student ministry and Wednesday rolls around and you're up to your ears in homework and you're like, I just could fit this one out. It'll be okay. They won't miss me that bad. You don't do that because your love causes you to show up for people. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here. We're about to potluck. We're about to feast. But I hope you know when we do that, it's not just this fun church activity. We are fulfilling the purposes of God in our day by eating together, by living life with one another, by sharing in a meal, which is a very, very sacred practice if you read your Bible. Our second purpose, we love one another. Number three, God created me to become like Christ. The third purpose of your life is growing in maturity. And I'll, and I'll add to that, I'll say spiritual maturity. If you're, if you're drawing, you can go to the next one for me and you can just draw a little tree with a big tree next to it. It's, it's the idea that God created us to grow mature in Christ. You are made to become and be like Jesus. Young people in the room, kids in the room, look at me really quick. I, I don't know uh, your world. I know there's so much anime out there these days that it's hard to keep up with. And um, I don't know what show you guys have that may compare to the show I'm about to tell you. But back in the day, we had something called the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, baby. Thank you. I don't know if you know about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but they were this group of ninjas and they were also high school students that, that all happened to go to the same school and possess martial arts abilities. And then every now and then this space lady would send evil villains to Earth and the Power Rangers would have to fight the villains that the lady sent to Earth. And Every single episode went the same exact way, but I couldn't get enough of it when I was a kid. They would be fighting these space monsters, and, and every single episode there'd be this big battle, and they're in their outfits and their suits like this, and then sure enough, about 19 minutes into the show, which is about 30 minutes long, they would start losing their battle to the space monsters. And just when things were looking terrible, the music would change. And they'd look at each other. And one of them would scream, It's morphin' time! And then with the cheesiest graphics you've ever seen in your life, the Power Rangers would morph into these bigger, more powerful warriors. And wouldn't you know it, by the time the 30-minute episode was over, they would have rescued the world yet again. The craziest thing was they would morph into something crazy. Can I tell you something? Uh, and I'm doing this because there's kids in the room, of course. Like, kids, look, 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 look. God made you to morph into something, but it's not a more powerful warrior. He made your life to eventually turn into the life of Christ. He made you to become like Jesus. It's almost like the gospel is this antidote to our sin and brokenness. In Romans 8.29, it says it like this, from the very, very beginning, God decided that those who would come to him, and all along he knew who would, he decided those who would come to him would become like his son. God wants you to become like Jesus. 
In Galatians 4.19, Paul writes, and he says, My dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, ladies, if you think Paul's being a little dramatic um, by pulling from a pregnancy illustration, that's completely fair, but I want you to not miss those words. He says, I'm working. My ministry is all about Jesus Christ being formed in you. That's deep if you think about it. Because it's almost like when we say yes to the gospel and we respond in baptism, it's like this little drop comes into our heart and it's like the antidote to our sin, our mess, and our failures. And slowly and steadily, that little antidote takes over and shapes more and more of my life to become like Jesus's. And all of a sudden, His compassion becomes my compassion. The courage that was in Jesus becomes courage that's in me. Jesus' lighthearted approach to life becomes my lightheartedness. And most importantly, His love becomes my love. We were created to become like Christ. Number four, God shaped me for significance. The fourth purpose of your life is to serve God by serving others. The fourth purpose of your life is to serve God by serving others. You could put a little broom right there. That means, hey, this ain't all fun and games. There's some work to be done. And, and good luck drawing those cogs. I got to do mine on the computer. But I did that on purpose because um, if that big cog right there, the black one, represents God's plan and God's purposes and His plan to love the world back to life, can I tell you something? There's a part, there's things in you that have uniquely been shaped in you to fit perfectly into God's plan. There is a part of God's plan that no one can fulfill but you. Ephesians 2.10 is a verse we come back to all the time here. And it says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Two powerful things stand out from that verse. Number one, it says, we're God's handiwork. In the original Greek language there, that would be the word poema. It's also translated masterpiece. Sit and think about the fact that God's word says that you are God's masterpiece. Let that shape some identity in you this morning. Let that speak to you louder than all of the things that spoke to you this week about who you should be and what you should do. Just sit in a sentence with me for a minute from God's Word that is Spirit-filled, alive, and active, and hear to tell you, you are a masterpiece. And don't miss that last sentence where it says, God has prepared a work in advance for you to do. There is a work on earth that only you can do in Jesus' name. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. God's given you a purpose and a work to do. And he shaped you. Do you guys know who Banksy is? Banksy's pretty amazing. Uh, just keep that one there for me, Nick. He, he's this artist and he's probably the most prolific and profound artist of our generation. And uh, he's, he's interesting because one, uh, his work is now worth millions and billions. Two, he's chosen to remain anonymous his whole career. And then three, he uses his artwork to make statements about culture and different things that are going on around the world. And so um, he doesn't tell anyone where he's going to be or what he's going to do. But all of a sudden, in some random alleyway in Europe, poof, on the wall, 
Banksy will have done some art and all of a sudden that wall is just now sectioned off. It's an artifact. Nobody can get near the wall or touch it. So he does art pieces like paintings and all kinds of different things. And he usually does what he does to make some sort of statement about culture or draw attention to something that's happening in the world. Here is the craziest one. You don't want to miss this story. So Banksy recently made this beautiful piece of art. It's this girl and it's similar to this one, but it's different. And he had somebody take this art. Again, he's anonymous. People don't know who he is. They, he's never at these galleries when it's art auctions. And uh, they say, hey, this is an authentic Banksy painting. So, you know, it's like an auction. Like, there's people. Uh, 100, 200, 300, 400. And so this Banksy picture sells in Europe for the equivalent of what would be $1.4 million. And as soon as the guy goes, sold to that guy. Banksy had created a special frame for this painting. And as soon as they sell it, somebody hiding in the audience pushes a button and the frame shreds the painting into a bunch of different pieces. Here's the coolest part. They got it on video. I'll show you right here. Here's the craziest part. You would think that this shredded painting has now lost all its value. The last offer put in for Banksy's shredded painting was $24 million. Why, you ask? Here's why. He shapes every last detail of his art to make an impact and to bring about change in the world. Can I tell you something? You're God's masterpiece. He has shaped every last part of your life so you can make a unique impact on the world around you. I say shape not by accident, but that's an acronym we use is shape. Um, if you go to my shape slide, Nick, one more for me. Shape means your spiritual gifts. There's over 30 different spiritual gifts in the scriptures. And when you're baptized, the Holy Spirit empowers you with supernatural spiritual gifts. Leadership, administration, prayer, um, the ability to intercede. There's all kinds of different spiritual gifts that God pours into his church. Um, God put a heart in you, and, and that kind of just means your passion. 
There's things that you are passionate about. There are introverts in the room right now, but if I got you talking about this one topic, you would talk my ear off because you're passionate about it. Your, your heart is those things that occupy. If I pulled up like you're recently watched on YouTube or you know how like, YouTube just sends you like 50 recommendations a day. It's the thing that all the recommendations keep pointing to. It's on your Pinterest board. It's in your recommended section of your Instagram feed. There are passions in you that God put in you. Here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to look at them and then look back at the world and go, how can I use those passions to help people? You've been given abilities. Some of you can do things in here with spreadsheets that just blow my mind. Some of you can take a broken car and turn it into a working car. That is nuts. Some of you can explain things in ways that help people understand. Some of you can help kindergartners learn how to read. Some of you can, you know, design things. There's all kinds of different abilities. Again, our call is to look at those abilities and look back at the world and say, how do I bring God glory with these things? You've got a personality, introvert, extrovert, planner, spontaneous, spender, saver. God usually likes to take the two opposites and put them together in a relationship and just sit back and watch the thing. And your experiences. It's the things you've been through. You have educational experiences. You have cultural experiences. You have the home you were brought up in. You had things that went right and you had things that went wrong. And rest assured that God uses those experiences for his good and his glory. And he's walked you through those things so you can help other people. You were shaped for significance. Your, your fourth purpose there is to serve God by serving others. Number five, number five. God made me for a mission. The fifth purpose of your life is to tell others about God. Back in that prayer from John 17, oh, sorry, you need the drawing. Hang on, you need the drawing. Band, you guys can come up. This is your last drawing, and then we're, we're going to go over and feast on some chicken here in a second. You draw a light bulb, and then you can draw some people. You're supposed to shine in the world around you and then tell people of the goodness of God. It says it right here in John 17, 18, in that prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples and for us, it says, in the same way you, he's praying to God, in the same way you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. In other words, in the same way God sent Jesus to tell of God's goodness and love, Jesus now sends us into the world to do the same. We were made for a mission. I would challenge you to stop and think for a minute about why almost every single movie you love involves a character or a team on some sort of impossible mission. Why is that? Because God wove mission into your soul. You were made to tell the world of the goodness of God. And I've got great news for you guys. This does not mean you have to go to people you work with on a day-to-day -day basis, corner them in some sort of awkward conversation that makes it so they never invite you to anything anymore. That is not the biblical call to evangelism. And it is terribly ineffective. Your job is to shine in the world around you. You make the world better and brighter in Jesus' name. Believe it or not, these signs are not just for decoration. I hate these things. They fall over all the time. But we never want to lose track of the fact that we are made here and put here to make the world better and brighter in Jesus' name. And then when people see us shining, they see us simply serving those around us, helping where we can help, loving where we can love, blessing where we can bless. They go, man, where'd you get that? You go, oh my gosh. 
This may sound weird, but God has given me so much and the least I could do is shine in the world around me. It's from Him. That's our mission. We don't win the world to Christ by walking into weird spaces and going, hey, do you know where you'd go if you died tonight? In the book of Revelations, it says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, that's the gospel, and the word of our testimony. And that's just sharing how that gospel has touched us personally. We overcome by holding on to the way that God has loved us and saved us. And then when he brings us to the opportunity, we tell the world of the difference he's made. Testimony sounds a lot less like, do you know where you'd go if you died or to spend eternity? And a lot more like, I was really, really anxious. And then a friend of mine taught me how to pray about it. And I can't explain it, but this prayer has helped my anxiety go away. Oh man, I, I was adrift and I was lost and I just needed some connection and somebody brought me to this church and there's this group that I hang out with at the church and it like filled that hole. And I don't know God that well, but I know I need more of what he's got. That's testimony. In common and simple ways, bringing the extraordinary glory of God to bear in the world around you with your words. And man, the world needs that right now. Man, there's too much hurt to go around right now. Too much anxiety to go around right now. Too much insecurity to go around right now. Too much church hurt to go around right now. The world is dying for good news tellers who will take those simple opportunities and leverage them for the mission of Jesus. So I'll tell you two things. Um, here's those purposes. Just one last review of the five. We're made to know and love God. We're made to love others. To grow mature. To serve others. And to shine and tell others of the goodness of God. And here's how I want to wrap on this one. I just want you to consider those, consider those drawings, those five different purposes. And in your notes, just circle the one that God might be calling you to lean into in the season ahead. Think of the one for you that maybe God is calling you to or calling you back to. And as we sing this last song, just offer that to him. Say, God, what do you want to teach me? And what do you want to tell me? Would you guys stand with me? Let me pray. Let's pray together. God and Father, pray that your purposes would come alive in our day. God, that you would be speaking life and vision to each of us personally. you would work, that you would move, and that you would guide us into lives marked by great purpose. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.